Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles. Would you open them to the book of Genesis chapter 1? We're going to pick up where we left off last time in verse 13. And we're in part 2 of a Bible study I've entitled Six Days or Six Literal Days of Creation. You know, the Bible teaches very clearly that the earth and the heavens were created by God, by Almighty God. From Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The emphasis of the Bible, not just Genesis, not just Exodus, not just the Old Testament, not just the emphasis of the Bible is on God, the triune one who existed before the universe. We know that God is behind everything. The universe and all created things are not eternal, did not just happen, didn't just pop up with a bang or by chance. And it's important in our culture of unknowns, in our culture of complexities, it seems like things are getting more complex. It's important for us in our culture filled with humanistic theories replacing God. It's important that you know where you came from. It's important we know our origin, our identity. Otherwise, we will adopt an identity is not from the Lord, not from God. We'll adopt a lifestyle, an identity, you know, and identities are a dime a dozen. There's always someone to offer you an identity to follow, a teaching to follow, a a purpose. You know, when you think of identity, think of purpose. Because your purpose is derived from who you are, how God created you. And as things get more complex, I believe, and I'm finding, I'm wanting to practice this in my own life, As the world around me gets more complex, I want to live a more simple life. I look to simplify, simplify my thinking, simplify my faith, simplify my life. I want to live lighter in this world. I don't want to get caught up in all the complexities. I don't want to get caught up in all the theories. I don't want to spend my life living in theory when I can spend my life living in reality. But it's harder, isn't it? It's harder to live in reality. It's easier to talk about things and study things and it's easier to to get involved in things that are up here when the ministry is down here in people's lives. Getting involved in sharing life with one another and learning the word not just for the purposes of study and theory, but learning the word of God so I can know God and I can love others. And it requires a, a lot of effort to keep things simple, you know. It requires a decision, even as I was praying, just thinking about that battle in the mind and, and, and following through and obeying in this power of the Holy Spirit to take every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You know, for those that have a, a real intense spiritual battle in their lives, that can be exhausting. It can be tiring because your mind's just always firing, always firing, always firing, and you're obeying the Lord and you're abiding in Christ, but you're battling all the time. You get tired. So when you get tired, you start making mistakes. You have alternatives and other things in its place. And so we need to know where we came from. We also need to know why we're here. You'll never be able to fulfill God's purpose upon your life unless you know who you are and why you're here. 
So in our previous study, and that's where we are in, this, in Genesis, learning about God's intention in creation, about his sovereignty and his providence and purposes, we learned in the first three days of creation last time. We learned how the, or the world, the earth, was enveloped in darkness, a blanket of heavy mist, thick clouds, dense fog. And we learned on day one in verse three that God said, let there be light, and there was light. And he, God divided the light from the darkness. He called light day and darkness. He called night, verse five, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Then we learn on day two in verse six that God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And then we learn on the third day in verse nine that God said, let there be waters under the heavens, let them be gathered together into one place. Let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called the seas. God said it was good. And then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed. Spent a little time on that one, didn't we? And the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And so it was. And the earth brought forth grass, and the herb that yields seed according to its kind, the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, so evening and the morning were the third day. If you're just joining us in this particular Bible study, we are on our fourth study. We dealt with some of the complexities and questions and issues with Genesis in our previous study. So if you're just picking up here, we dealt with a lot of the argumentation, different theories, not in depth, but enough for you to understand so that you come to our conclusion of a literal creation. We just take the Bible literally, and that's we allow it to say what it says, and we conform ourselves to the Word of God. We don't let the culture dictate to us and change the Bible to fit the culture, and we looked at that all in our previous studies. Let's go to day four now, verse 14. Day four, verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons for days and years. And let them be, verse 15, for the lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. So God created and distributed now light upon the earth. Literally, verse 14 could be translated light holders that would divide the day and the night. And, and I like this in verse 14, it says to be for signs and for seasons. And it brought a thought up for me because growing up in Southern California, uh, when it comes to seasons, there, there's really just one seasons, one season and two versions. The season is amazing, excellent weather all the time. Sun is out, it's beautiful and wonderful. The only difference is either it's raining or it's not. You get rain every once in a while, but otherwise most days are beautiful and wonderful. But when you move to somewhere like Colorado, you learn very quickly that what you learn in school about seasons, like there's actually four of them. And in Colorado, you can experience all four in one day. But it's a beautiful thing as you experience them, right? Like every time, as much as we, you know, as much as we, I include you in this, of course, but as much as we complain about the snow, the snow is a reminder of the creative work of God, the seasons. 
And even looking at the different seasons, I've used them as illustrations before. You know, everybody goes through winter where things seem dormant and dark and lifeless. But, you know, during wintertime, even though things turn brown and, and even not appealing to the eye, everything's happening underground. You don't see it. Everything's going deep during the wintertime. And, and don't you find that in those darker, difficult times in your life, God's going deep on you. Not, maybe no one knows it. They don't see it in you, but you feel it. You feel like you sense it, that God's going deep on you. And you'd rather have that in the springtime, but we're so excited about the springtime. We're so happy things are coming to life that maybe the work of God in the springtime isn't so deep because we're in a place of celebration, in a place of worship, and that's just an exciting time. But there are seasons here, and here is where you have the creation of seasons, also for days and years. You think of the the earth rotating around the sun 365 days, 9 hours, and 56 minutes. And it's in this rotation that we have the, the development of the calendars that we use today. So even without verses 14 and 15, we wouldn't have calendars or we wouldn't have the ability to take time and measure it as this is where God gave it to us. So notice now in verse 16, it says, Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament in the heavens to give light on the earth and, and to rule over the day and to rule over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And we come to the end again of another day. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So you have a greater light to rule the day. We know that as the sun. And the lesser light to rule the night, we know that as the moon. Even as it's a reflection of light, it's a light holder. And to me, this is amazing because with the naked eye, it's impossible to tell if the sun is bigger than the moon. I mean, I, I, some of you might be more detail-oriented. You go, no, I can tell exactly. But for most of us, they look about the same size. They're both very big. And with the naked eye, as a matter of fact, even most pagan religions determined that the moon was larger and worshipped it in their assessment. Now, the sun is not just bigger. The sun is not just bigger. As you come back to the text here where he says he made two great lights, the greater light. The sun is not just greater. It's not just bigger. It's about six million times bigger than the moon. It's not just greater. It's a, you know, sort of little. It's six million times greater. And again, we step back and say, how could Moses know this unless it was revealed to him directly from God? Moses is not writing from personal knowledge even as many in his day had it wrong. He knows because God revealed it to him. Sometimes you get a, attacked or made fun of because of your faith and they, folks in your life want to put you on the spot and make you explain everything that you believe. And, you know, if you're so smart, do you know the Hebrew and the Greek? Whatever they use to try to mock you. And your response is like, like I, I can't explain it to you. I just know God revealed it to me. I was reading this scripture, and that's what you can do. So I was just reading the Bible, and as I was reading the Bible, I felt like God was speaking to me, and I, this is the conviction of my life from this verse. I want you to hold on to those things that God has given to you. Sure, you may not be able to explain every single little thing to people. You may not be able to, you know, well, you know, I was Googling what you said. You know, you, you don't even, you, you can't even get involved in the argumentation with them. 
but a simple faith of trusting God what he's revealed to you, connected to his word. Like you're reading in your devos and you just feel like the Lord spoke to you a promise. You hold on to that promise. You cling to it by faith. You write it next to that scripture in, the, in your paper Bible, the day and the year that God gave it to you. You circle it in a different color. You highlight it. You star it. You do what you need to do to remember the promises of God. You're not obligated to explain what the Lord's revealed to you to every single person. Now again, I'm speaking toward things that can be connected to the word. I'm not talking about things you made up in your own mind. I'm not talking about things that you're making up to somehow, you know, outside the Bible, extra biblical. I mean those sweet times that God has given you something. You hold on to it and you trust it. And, and you know, as Peter was saying, people are going to mock and make fun of you. They're going to say you're following fables, but you know of the inward work of God upon your life. You have a personal relationship with Jesus that is developing and growing, and you cling to that. Let the mockers and the scoffers live their lives. You live your life unto the Lord. And I love Moses is writing things down, and he's getting the personal revelation from God. The moon itself is a light holder, according to the Hebrew. It receives its light from the sun, and it reflects it back to the earth. And despite its smaller size and borrowed light, the moon's function is essential to the earth. Its value is enormous, as one commentator put it. It gives light at night and controls part of the signs and it influences the tides of the seas, but the moon is not as gifted nor does it impact the earth as much as the sun. And yet it still has its place which, you know, the Bible says for us not to compare ourselves with one another. It's foolish, you know, that's the Bible. That's a clear indication. So as you begin to compare yourself, you just understand, you may have less influence, but that's how God made you. You're very important in the influence that you have. You may have more influence. Well, you're very important. That's how God made you. Here's the thing. Don't compare yourself and they go, well, I wish I had that, or I wish I... Just be faithful with what the Lord has given to you. Be faithful. Well, you know, I'm just a moon. Yeah, moon's pretty important. Well, you know, I'm the sun. Yeah, the sun's pretty important. Well, I'm some obscure star in the middle of nowhere. And you are very important to the plan of God. Because it might be in the middle of nowhere to us, but God knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly where he has you and what he wants to do in your life. Jot it down in Psalm 19, verse 1. It reflects on this day. The Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and its firmament shows his handiwork. Or Psalm 97, verse 6. The heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. So we're talking about the sun right now, S-U-N, but there is another sun, S-O-N, the son of God. And remember what it says about Jesus, Jesus Christ in John chapter 1, verse 9? Listen to what it says. Talking about lights, the sun, the moon, the lesser, the greater. And Jesus, we know, is the son of God. Listen to what it says in John 1, 9. It says, that was the true light that gives light to every man coming into the world. He's the true light. Everything's pointing from the beginning of creation, pointing back to the son of God. We find Jesus on every page of scriptures. It's so encouraging. And what are we? What does Jesus say to us? You are the salt and light. And we too are light bearers. It doesn't come from us. We're not creating the light. 
We are light bearers. We reflect the glory of God in our lives. We reflect his righteousness. And it's amazing. You know, don't be intimidated by this, but be aware of it. People are watching us, looking to us, expecting something from us. And so Jesus says, let your light so shine before men. Let it shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Notice in verse 16, it says, he made two great lights and the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And then it just says he made the stars also, which is pretty significant. With the billions upon billions of stars that are found so far, he just says it like, oh yeah, he made the stars too. As many as the sand of the seashore, as many stars. Yeah, that God did that too. And it gives us some perspective. Because in our world today, there's a lot of time and attention. Even within prophecy, uh, those that focus on prophecy, and, and, and they'll spend a lot of time on the stars, a lot of time on the stars. And here's, what, here's what God spends a lot. He made the stars also. And even if you notice in verse 16, uh, the way the Hebrew is translated, you'll notice the words in your New King James. I want you to see this because it's important for the rest of the Bible. When you see the words he made, you see them in italics. Do you see that? They're in italics because these are words that are not in the original language. They're not in the original manuscripts. They have been added to help us in English. If you're reading this in Hebrew, you don't need those two words. But here for us in English, they're necessary. So the common, when you read through your Bible and you see words, most of the time, sometimes they're in italics because it's a quotation of an Old Testament. In the New Testament, there'll be italics because it's quote, quoting. But most of the time, this is a tool used by the translators to just let you know they're helping you complete an English sentence from the original language. And so you could just say if with three letters, and he made the lesser light to rule the night, the stars also. And that's what the Bible has to say about his creation of the stars. And you say, well, what's so significant about that? Well, it gives us some perspective. And perspective's everything in life. Understanding the bigger picture. The Bible takes close to 50 chapters to discuss the construction and the significance of the tabernacle. As you fast forward where the tabernacle is being built, 50 chapters. This is the place of worship and communion. But he only spends five English words on the creation of the stars. In the New Testament, the Gospels, they have 89 chapters. But 85 of the 89 chapters deal with the last three years of the life of Jesus. Why? Because the Bible is a book of redemption. It gives us insight and a hint of why God has given us his word. Not only is it a revelation of himself, but it's a revelation of his love for us. You might be more interested in the stars than you're interested in the love of God, but that's not how God laid it out. You might be more interested in things that are taking your time and attention, again, away from the what, what's really, like when you are a master in the love of God, you will grow in your love for God and you'll grow in your love for others. It'll be natural. You won't need to take classes on evangelism because you'll just be talking to people about the Lord. You won't be taking classes on how to engage with people because you'll just be loving God so much that he's going to be leading you and guiding you by, your Holy, by his Holy Spirit. You'll be involved in things you never thought you'd be involved in. You'll be going to places you never thought you'd be going to. Now, we'll provide the classes because we know the classes will help jumpstart you. We'll help you. We're here to serve you and encourage you and equip you for sure. 
We're here to resource you, provide things for you. But you know, as you grow in God's grace, you grow into the place where, remember what Paul told the Hebrews when we were studying through Hebrews? And he goes, you guys, you're still on the ABCs. We need to move on from the ABCs. We need to start making words and sentences. And some of you, like you've been walking with the Lord so long and you're just stuck on the ABCs and God says, no, no, I want you to start making words. I want you to start writing sentences. I want you to start writing paragraphs. I want you to live out all the panorama of following Christ. And perspective is important. God's heart in the Bible is redemption. It was nothing for God to create. All he had to do was speak. But to redeem us, he had to die. And I think another evidence of the Bible being of divine origin is if the Bible was a man-made book, then there'd probably be a lot more chapters on the stars because people are just interested in the stars and the zodiac and astrology. And I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there are some listening to me right now that you probably get an email or a notification in the morning. This is how your day's going to go. They have no idea how your day's going to go. Well, but this is your sign. Yeah, whatever. Look to the Lord. Open the word. He'll tell you how your day is going to go. He'll just remind you. He's like, well, okay, then what's going to happen at noon? No, you don't tempt the Lord your God. You know what he's going to do when you open your Bible in the morning? He's just going to remind you, you know, you are loved. Whatever you walk into today, you are loved. Whatever happens at work today, you are loved. But wherever you find yourself, you are loved. And, and then anything else is a bonus after that. It's like, because you're going to walk into a complex, hostile challenging world for some of you very challenging the kind of medical things you're facing right now the kind of family things you're facing super challenging and yet the lord is with us it's so easy to turn away from the lord to things that are false the whole the children of israel got in so much trouble for idolatry you know it's another thing when we think of idolatry none of us really admit to being idolatrous and then they'll go, well, I'm not adulterous. I don't have any little statue in my house. Yeah, but you worship money just like a statue. You worship fame. You worship celebrities. So, well, I don't go to no, I don't bow down to them. No, but you live for them. You think about them. You talk about them. You post about them. You, you know more about celebrities than you know about the Lord. What do you call it? If it's not idolatry, you tell me what you call it. Oh, well, uh, yeah, it's just a hobby. It's an idolatrous hobby is what it is. Anything that takes the place of God in your life is idolatry. It could be a little statue. I mean, if you walk, you know, there's a lot of little statues around different restaurants where you offer your, yeah, you know, that's, of course it can be. But idolatry is a matter of the heart. Because you can get rid of all your statues and still not worship the one true God. And the stars are a convenient thing that many people will look to today. Let's go on to day five, verse 20. Then God said, let the waters abound with the abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So here we have God creating every water creature, every air creature after its kind. God and God alone created them. And after its kind is significant because after its kind, 
the creation order is so that it might carry on its species, to carry on its kind of animal life, to bring forth the same kind of animal life, the same kind of life as the parent of the animal, to propagate its own species. That's its kind. Those are definitions for after its kind. So all water and air creation have the power to reproduce. There's not a creature in the water or in the air that God did not create himself. And you think about birds. You know, I have my own stories with birds around my house and how they just kind of take ownership of our house. But birds are amazing. The aerodynamics of birds are just unbelievable creatures. And yet, man has tried to duplicate it. I mean, it is pretty fascinating that we can hop on a plane with the same uh, laws of thermo, uh, aerodynamics and stuff and find ourselves in another country, you know, around the world in just a matter of hours. But even with all the man's inventions and copy, nothing beats the birds. I mean, that is God's, that is God's handiwork. And it's totally amazing, unbelievable. I saw a picture recently, I forget what bird it was, but they pulled back the feathers to show where the bird's ears were. I didn't even know that bird had an ear. Like that was just, it was bizarre. Like, man, it's just like, this is unbelievable stuff. And it's like, Ed, you need to spend more time paying attention to this kind of stuff. That was pretty amazing. I was thinking of Psalm 8. I wrote it down in verse 8. Psalm 8, it says, The birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. I mean, it's just such a neat, wonderful, amazing thing of what God has created. And I know, again, uh, I want to encourage you, just in, in my own life lately, uh, I've, spent, I've been spending more time when, you know, in, the, in the springtime uh, when everything comes back to life and all the birds come back and putting little feeders out to attract them to come in and see my neighbors got these big trees. But one thing I've been really fascinated with is that Marie planted these um, beautiful, colorful, whatever they are, I don't know the name of them, but they attract bees. And so I'll just do my devos outside and I'll just watch the bees. It's fascinating. And then I'll watch the birds all up in the trees, like looking at me going, what are you doing in my yard? And I'm like, I'm in my yard, bro. Like, this is my house. <laughs> I don't know about you, but this is my house. And they're all just ready to attack. But the bees down there, they don't care about anything. You know what? Bees are encouraging to me. Uh, and and I, again, I don't know much about them. I haven't read, I haven't studied much about them. I don't have time. But from my observation, this is one thing I see about the bees that I want in my life. They just do what they got to do all the time. I don't see them taking breaks. I don't see them, you know, on a union strike or like this is not good enough. They don't knock it on the window saying, hey, you know what? These flowers aren't good enough, woman. Plant us these kind. Like they just do what they got to do. And they're just boom, 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 boom. They're hitting every single whatever. I don't even know what they're hitting in there, but boom, 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 boom. And it's amazing. I, I want that in my life. God put that into them. And he's put, as we'll see in a moment, much greater in you. You are much greater than the animals and all the sea creatures and the birds and the bees. You're much greater. Notice in verse 22, it says, and God blessed them the creatures, the sea creatures, the birds. He, he blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And so the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And they were told by God to reproduce. They were given that instruction and that command and they obeyed. We find at least four major reasons why God created these air and sea creatures. Number one, to populate and give life to his creation. 
both the waters and the skies of the earth. Secondly, to help carry on the reproduction of the food chain. God knowing in advance how he's going to take care of his people. He's not even to his crown creation yet. Thirdly, to give variety and beauty to the earth's water and sky and to show forth his glorious handiwork. It's a beautiful thing, and I believe animals and creatures in the sea were given, fourthly, to provide companionship for men, for, cre for his creation that's to come, uh, to enjoy the animals and to enjoy them. So notice with me in verse 24, it says, Then God said, now we're going to move on to day six, God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and the creeping thing, the beast of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. So day six, the cattle, the beasts are created, lions were to mate with lions, wolves to mate with wolves. Uh, a lion was created, out of a lion was created a lion. You get it. It's, don't allow the world to feed you a, a bucket of lies. The Bible couldn't be easier to understand. Lions create lions. Don't, don't let them try to explain in 10 hours or 10 courses in the university level. Try, try to disprove what the Bible already says and what you know in common sense to be true. Let's just jump to verse 26. It says, then God said, the crowning creation, you ready? God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish, over the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, before we get into this, I want you to notice the language. I'm sure you already have, but you'll see in verse 26, it says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, we touched on this earlier but many come here with a question, what is this? Um, what is this? And what it is, is referred to today as the inner Trinitarian conversation. God revealing himself in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so as he creates, we are created in his image, body, soul, and spirit. We are not like the animals. And it's unfortunate but necessary to say today, you are more important than animals. You alone were created in the image of God. You are greater than animals. Now to say that, we don't need to artificially conclude that there's some uh, devaluation of animals. They have their value. But on the value scale, humans are more valuable than animals. And even as we look at the variety and the uh, amazement of God's creation of animals, there is great variety in men and women as well. Amazing variety among us, the infinite wisdom of God. And so here he is, God speaking within the Trinity. God, we are made in the fullness of the Godhead, the fullness of his image. In Isaiah 44, you can jot it down. It says, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, he who formed you from the womb, 
I am Yahweh who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, who spreads abroad the earth by myself. And so you, here you have a singular statement that is now unpacking, you know, because as you read through the scriptures, you have what's known as progressive revelation. And what that means is the more you read the Bible, the more revelation you receive. And that's why you start to piece together as you read through the Old Testament. The Old Testament is not the fullness of the revelation of God. You need to continue reading on to the end of Revelation. And that's the fullness of what God intended for us to learn about him. So the more you read, the more progressive your understanding comes. And the simple word, I'm not using that word in a political term whatsoever. I'm using it in its real term. You make progress. Your knowledge of God progresses. So we refer to that as progressive revelation. Also, the Bible covers time. So over time, God revealed more of himself. Just like creation. We're learning more on the sixth day than we knew on the first day. How? Because we have progressive revelation. We went from day one, and now that we're at day six, we learn more. And so as you're learning here, the progressive revelation, we have the hint now of the Trinity. We don't have the fullness of the doctrine of the Trinity yet, but we have the hint already in chapter one. God has revealed there is a uniqueness about him. And it makes you wonder and question. And of course, as you read through, for those of you that have had trouble understanding the Trinity, you are not alone. Everyone in this room has a similar trouble. And we have I have attempted as a Bible teacher to teach on that subject, and I've chosen to teach it this way. And these studies are up on the app or on the web. Under the, you, know, you just put Trinity in the search bar and you'll find them. But I, I chose to teach it in a way that I think would be understandable, or at least more understandable, in four studies. Study number one is, who is God the Father? What does the Bible have to say about God the Father? Study number two, who is God the Son? What does the Bible have to say about God the Son? Thirdly, uh, we ask the question, who is God the Holy Spirit? And what does the Bible have to say about the Holy Spirit? And then once with you see those, when you see those, the, those studies as that is laid out, who the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is, you see that they share the same attributes all throughout the Bible. They're omniscient, omnipresent. You see them share the same attributes. And so as you begin to see the equality in the Godhead, then that final study number four, I attempt to pack it all together with the overarching understanding of what the doctrine of the Trinity is so that when you have that final study, and maybe you want to listen to that study first and then pack it in. However you learn, it's fine with me. But by the time you get to that study, you can go, okay, I've already learned about the Father. So now, ah, and it helps to understand a little bit better. But I do believe we'll never have full understanding of the character and nature of God until we meet him face to face. Because there's a part of mystery that keeps us trusting him by faith. If you knew God, as he knows you, then you'd be God. And you're not God. And you never will be God. It's when you and I are transformed and in the presence of Jesus, the Bible says, we will know even as we are known. And we'll have a fullness of understanding in his presence. But for now, these questions, there's that mystery of God, that, that glory and awesomeness of God that you're not going to lose. Because if you lose the glory and awesomeness of God, and you know how it is today. There's a little picture of that with people today when they go, oh, you know, that's the man upstairs. Like, who? Is there an apartment upstairs? Like, who are you talking about? You know, like, it's just like the guy that lives upstairs. No, this is almighty God, your creator. Oh, you know, he's just the man upstairs. No, bro, you're far from understanding. And when you, you think of God as the man upstairs then you minimize his authority and glory and righteousness and everything about him. 
and you bring him down. That, that statement, the man upstairs, what is it you've done? You've recreated God in your image. Except he has one apartment above you. You know, he's right. He's one apartment above you. He's got the apartment that you want because he's the man upstairs. No, he's God Almighty. And here he is in the Trinity, inter-Trinitarian conversation. The Hebrew word there in verse 26 for God is Elohim, E-L-O-H-I-M. It's a word for God that reflects a plurality in the Hebrew in one. There are other places where God, words for God are used, El, which is the singular version, and Elah, which is the dual version or the dual word. And here is Elohim, again, even from the word, speaks of a unity among plurality. It's unbelievable that God would do such things. So here he is, and verse 28, we see in 27, he's, we're created in his image, uh, and then it says, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Now, we don't need to spend a lot of time on this, but the reality of creation is that God created male and female. And that's an important distinction. I know there's gender confusion today. I know there's gender fluidity. I, I know there's all sorts of, of, of thoughts and offers and now different pronouns and the world's all into it. But you've got to remember something. You are not of the world. The world doesn't accept the word of God. So for us to flip out by the way the world is reacting, I mean, it is challenging. It's going to be more difficult for our kids to live in this world, our grandkids for sure. But the reality of us standing in judgment over a world that doesn't know Jesus Christ and they want to pick different genders and they want to pick different things, we just, we just need to be in a loving, caring relationship toward them because eventually where do we want to bring them? We want to bring them to the God who created them in his image. He can clear up the confusion for you. Even today, if you're struggling with your identity and you're struggling with who you are and, and maybe you're not struggling, maybe you're just so confident this is what you are and this is what you want to be, I want to remind you that God, he created you for a purpose and he loves you in his creation. And, and I know all kinds of things happen to us that, that hurt us and harm us and there's bullies and People made fun of you because maybe, maybe you, you are more feminine on the one side or more masculine on the other side. And so everybody's got their opinions and labels and, and that hurts. I just acknowledge that hurt in your life today. You might be listening on the radio, kind of under, under the radar. And, and uh, you know, you've just been even mistreated by the church or by some Christian getting mad at you, picking at you, throwing things at you. Look, that's not the heart of God. God has compassion on you and your confusion. Well, I'm not confused. I'm confident. Well, God still has compassion on you. And here he is. We know what God's intention. He made us male or female. That's his creation. And it's a good place to be within the realm of where you were created. Or what do they say today? It's good to be in your lane, right? Stay in your lane. It's a safe place to be. It's a safe place to be. Notice he says, God blesses them in verse 28. And there's a purpose for male and female. There's a purpose your anatomy is the way it is. There's a purpose why you have reproductive organs the way you have. There is a purpose. And any surgery or anything, the cut or at, like that doesn't change the purpose of God. And all the changes and all the surgeries and all doesn't change your essence of your DNA. God made sure that even all the outward things would change. But inwardly, you're not going to change. And you have here, notice he says, this is, he says, God blessed him and told him, you be fruitful and multiply. 
just like the animals. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. I've given you every herb that yields seed, he says in verse 29, which is on the face of the earth. Every tree whose fruit yields seed to you shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I've given every green herb for food, and it was so. And I, we, we addressed this in our last study, but it doesn't say I give you every green herb so you can get high and you can get drunk and you can abuse yourself. He says, I've given these things to you, and again, apart from sin, for your benefit, not to be abused. And we talked about marijuana and being under the influence in our study last time. Then verse 31, God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So three things, if you're taking notes, three things that God blesses man. He blesses man with three things. Number one, he blesses man and women, a man and a woman with sex. Sex is a blessing and a gift from God. He says, be fruitful and multiply. God invented sex and he placed it in the confines of marriage. One woman, one life, one man, one woman, one lifetime. That's God's ideal. Again, I know many of listening because of sin and failure, we all don't live up to God's ideal in every area of our life, but that's God's ideal. So even if you haven't lived up, there's a divorce in your past, there's an issue with sexual sin, fornication, pornography, adultery, like stop, repent, go back towards God's ideal. That's what he's saying. That, that's God. Whenever you hear a pastor, hopefully, when you hear pastors go, this is God's ideal. Look, I know we all fall short. So when we fall short, that's called sin. What do we do with sin? We acknowledge it, we repent, we forsake it, and we go back toward God's ideal. That's what's best for you. Sex is like fire. Like in the right condition, it's a beautiful thing. When it's not in its right condition, it's destructive. It's destructive. Man, unfortunately, has ruined and perverted sex, taking it to the depths of corruption and depravity like never before. From the beginning, it was not so. Secondly, sex is gift number one. Secondly, number two, supremacy. Supremacy. Notice that word dominion. It speaks of supremacy. You're to have dominion over all the earth. God gave the earth to man. The word dominion means lordship. It means authority. You have authority over all creation. So you can enjoy it all. Explore the earth. Test it. Check it out. Care for it. There's no indication whatsoever ever from God's perspective for us to destroy the earth or to harm it or to not treat it with the type of respect that it's there for. There's included in this hunting, fishing, everything. Enjoy the bees, enjoy the plants. God has given us all things richly to enjoy. But we're not to be careless. You know, I, I know that many years, I, I, don't, I haven't heard it recently, but I'm sure it's still around. You know, Christians are going around, well, you know, it's all going to burn anyway. And so they're just careless you know, throwing crash all over the place, litter, being careless with the, with the earth, being careless in so many different ways. Well, you know, it's all going to burn. Like, that's not God's heart. God's heart was not, he didn't give you everything, just destroy it. It's, it's kind of like your kid, you know, it's just, again, an illustration in the house. You guys move into a house and you know you're going to move in five years. Yeah, kids, just destroy it. We're leaving in five years anyway. 
No, that's not, you don't, you're teaching your kids how to care for things, how, how to be good stewards, how, how to acknowledge that what we have has been given to us by God. And even if, it, if, if you're renting, you know, Marie and I, we rented for many, many years. We taught our kids to respect that which we were renting. It didn't even belong to us. So we had to have a higher level of care and concern so that we could give back that apartment back to the owner in a better condition or in an acceptable condition that we weren't reckless and, you know, finding ourselves careless and reckless. God doesn't want you careless. And dominion doesn't mean carelessness and recklessness. It means care and concern and enjoying. And then finally, in verses 29 through 30, we see the third gift, sex, and then supremacy, and then, I, using all S words here, sustenance. Sustenance. All the vegetation is yours. It seems in the beginning that man and animal were vegetarians in the beginning. But as we see we move forward, we see animals were killed and eaten later on, and that was within the will of God. And what I see is an amazing harmony between man and beast and beast and beast, and yet not so today. It's wild today. Uh, I remember our trip to South Africa when we went on a safari, and, and they told us, don't you get out. If you drop anything out of this uh, truck, you don't you dare get out. And even if the lions are over in the corner, uh, don't, don't get out. Don't let them fool you um, because they've been, they're watching you. They're ready for you, and they'll be here faster than you even bend over to get your phone or your hat. Don't do it. And we did get to see that. It didn't, nobody, nobody got their hand bit off or anything. Like Nobody was sinning so bad that God sent a lion to bite their hand off. But we did get to see a feeding time. So the, the, you know, the lions weren't going through this thing. We're like, I think we got ripped off on this little safari because the lions were all lame. They're laying around lazy. They're doing nothing. They're kind of dingy. And we're like, ah, oh, man, this is, not what I, this is not what I thought lions were. But then we got to see as we were leaving uh, one of the uh, trucks coming in to feed them. Hey, they were legit lions. They were legit. So, you know, in the beginning, lions were all, it looks like before the fall, you know, there was a lot of harmony and beauty. This, of course, sin has wrecked that today. You don't want to be messing around with lions. You don't, even if they look lame, don't mess around, right? Because there's animosity now and difficulty between us. There's coming a day, though, when Jesus Christ will restore this harmony and peace among man and beast. It's just a sweetness of unity and peace that's coming to all of us. And then, of course, as we finish the chapter, uh, God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And this was the evening and the morning of the sixth day. So everything we've covered in the last couple studies, God has seen at, he's seen, he's looked, he's evaluated, and his final analysis, it was not only good, but it was very good. And even what we enjoy today, with all its difficulty and the, 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 the absolute you know, consequence of sin, can't you look around and see how good it is to be alive and to enjoy the Lord. I know things are broken. I know things are hard, but I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be alive. I'm grateful to serve the Lord. I'm grateful to be like, even as, as Caleb is a great prayer request, if we, Caleb just encouraging us, hey, be thankful, right? You be anxious for nothing, but in all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Be thankful. It's not all that God intended, but God is coming. Jesus is coming again. And yeah, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. But remember, the universe is so geocentric on him 
And if the universe is centric on him, how much more you and I would benefit to center our lives in and through and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So thank you, God, for the privilege of just walking through in a very simple way the beauty of your creation. We, we can't even scratch the surface. I know I'm just seeing today, Lord, Ken Ham had that new book out, new commentary uh, for uh, Genesis for kids and for families. And, and I just, the brother lives his whole life. He breathes this. You put him on the earth to help us. And then he just lives in this realm. And so I just pray for those that live in the realm of Genesis. They've devoted their entire lives to studying it. Oh, putting it in with all the rest of the Bible. But I'm grateful for all the people I read and studied and even quoted tonight. Uh, men and women that study your word deeply with, with layers and levels of understanding that ultimately bring us back to a, uh, a centered, focused walk with you. And so tonight, Lord, have your way among us. Minister your gospel love to us. Give us a heart of thanksgiving. Open our eyes so that we might see all that's around us. Put, put, I pray right now, Lord, I pray. I think that was a word for you, from you for us. For someone listening, like, there, there's just been a lack of appreciation. Would you replenish that heart of appreciation? Not just a feeling, but a thought and maybe even an expression. Maybe there's someone here, someone listening right now that, that needs to express appreciation more. And there's even a person that's in their mind, they, they need to do that. So I pray that into their life, Lord. It, it's such an antidote to complaining and criticism. And the world's not centered around us. It's centered around you. And I declare my appreciation for your faithfulness in my life. Even if I'm faithless, you remain faithful. You will not deny yourself. So may your blessing go before us and behind us. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.